Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. We've been talking about rest for several weeks, and today we're concluding our sermon series on the pursuit of rest. And I hope you've been thinking about your own life and what that could look like for you. Many years ago, there was a cartoon on TV called The Jetsons. I watched it every week. And The Jetsons was a vision of the good life of the future. There was space-age living and zipping around on moving sidewalks with jetpacks and flying cars. And it was a leisurely life with lots of labor-saving conveniences and robotic maids who did everything you needed, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house. And I read this in an article. The Jetsons has had a profound impact on the way Americans think and talk about the future. Though it was just a cartoon, it was based on very real expectations for the future. Now it's a way to talk about the fantastic technological advancements we're seeing, or conversely, evidence of so many futuristic promises that remain unfulfilled. George Jetson went to work for one hour a day, two days a week. I looked it up on Wikipedia. And that was the hope of the future, a two-hour work week. And that remains unfulfilled. Right? We don't have a two-hour work week or flying cars. We do have lots of labor-saving devices. But even though we still dream of less work and more leisure, we keep working more and more with less leisure than ever before. God's picture of the life we're supposed to live, of the good life, is not really the Jetsons, but it is a life that includes the leisure and the rest we all crave. God created us for a sustainable rhythm of work and rest, and that's why we long for it. We long to work less, to take breaks, to find rest for our souls. We can get a glimpse of what that good life looks like in Psalm 23. And this is everyone's favorite psalm. It gives us such a glorious picture of what God is like and what our lives could look like in a relationship with him. I'm going to read Psalm 23 in the New King James Version because it's the version that rolls off my tongue. It's hard for me to read the newer versions. But Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the, pres in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this psalm gives us a picture of rest, of peace, abundance, protection, security. There's a reason we all love Psalm 23, that we read it at funerals all the time. It gives us comfort and peace. We feel the safety and security. And it begins with rest. We long for that. Verse 2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
And sometimes it might sound like forced rest. But in Hebrew, the word makes me lie down is one word. And it can also be translated causes me to rest. The New Living Translation says it, lets, God lets me rest. And the idea is that the shepherd provides what's needed so that the sheep are able to rest. They need to rest, and the shepherd makes sure they're fed, that they're safe from predators, that they're untroubled by pesky flies, and that they can lie down and rest without worry or care. The shepherd takes care of everything they need. And Jesus does that for us. He takes care of everything we need, and he invites us to rest. In John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And Jesus is our good shepherd. He gives us this rest, this picture of Psalm 23, with that peace, protection, security, abundance. And you might never have thought of Psalm 23 as a reality for your life. But this is who God is. And this is what our lives can look like in Christ. And it begins with rest. Pastor John Mark Comer uses four words to describe Sabbath rest. He says, Sabbath can be thought of as stop, rest, delight, and worship. These are the four meanings of the Hebrew word Shabbat. So for those of you who are looking for a formula to follow or steps to take, this might be helpful for you to think about it. This is not the law. This is not what you have to do or how you have to do it. But it might help you to think about it, to think about what your next steps might be or how to approach it. It's a good pattern for how we can think about Sabbath. So first, stop. Sabbath means to cease, to stop working for one day, just as God stopped on the seventh day of creation. So what could you stop doing in order to find rest? What's the hard work that drives your busyness or the internal narrative that feeds your anxiety? On my Sabbath, I stop working on sermons and ministries because that's my job. But you can keep working and serving the church on your Sabbath if it's not your job. Old Testament Hebrews were an agrarian people, so it was appropriate for them to not harvest the grain. But you can work in your garden on your Sabbath if that's something you love to do and it's not your work. So think about what your normal work is that you want to stop on your Sabbath. And whatever you choose to stop doing will probably require some preparation. It will probably mean that you have to think about it ahead, to do some things the day before, or think about when you can get them done so that you can rest. You probably will need to be intentional and exercise some discipline so that you can do enough the day before, so that you can take care of those big decisions or the housework or whatever it is you want to stop doing and rest on your Sabbath. You might need to make some choices about technology and social media and set that up so that you can rest. And all these things might seem like they're hard to stop doing, but it also might feel like a relief to think about not doing them. For some of you, stopping seems impossible. And if you're a caregiver or parenting little ones, or if your work schedule just doesn't allow for a 24-hour period of break, think about shorter breaks. Be creative. 
Ask God for help. Ask people for help. And consider how it could work for you. Second, Sabbath means to rest. And we cease working in order to rest. A lot of people start with taking a long nap on the Sabbath. And if you're tired, that might be the best thing for you to do. In my reading, I noticed many of the authors of the books we're using for the sermon series didn't come to Sabbath willingly. They didn't think they needed it. Ruth Haley Barton has written many books on spiritual rhythms, and her latest book is on the Sabbath. And she said she resisted Sabbath for a long time because she was busy. She didn't think she needed it. She was busy running an organization. And then she had a bike accident and went right back to work the next day. And of course, people made comments. They told her she should take more time off, that she wasn't indispensable. And it got to the point where she started to think God was trying to get her attention. And she began to explore Sabbath. Pastors talk about starting a Sabbath practice after coming close to burnout or quitting. And author Wayne Muller says he was driven to reevaluate his life after almost dying from streptococcal pneumonia. And in his book on the Sabbath, he says, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath, and our accidents create Sabbath for us. So it might be true that if it seems impossible to take a Sabbath, you feel like you're too busy to rest. Maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe you're the one that really needs to rest. So what would that look like for you? What would be restful for you? Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, as well as physically. It might be listening to music, reading a good inspirational book, taking a nap, being outdoors, laughing and playing with your family. Whatever is restful for you, lean into that. When you hear Psalm 23 and you think about those green pastures and still waters, what comes to mind? Lean into that. Third, Sabbath means to delight. God created us to find joy in him, to delight. And we stop and rest so that we can experience that joy. You can picture a feast, a party, a holiday with laughter and fun, or quiet conversations with the people you love most. Think of activities or hobbies that bring you joy. Think of a place you enjoy, or good food that brings you pleasure, or people that make you feel whole, or hobbies that you just wish you had more time for. If you live with your family, Think about putting aside chores and homework and the tension of living together just to enjoy some time together, to laugh and play, and maybe include some time apart if that's helpful too. But how can you enjoy life together? What makes you feel joy and gratitude for the goodness of God? Lean into that. Start with that. Fourth, Sabbath means to worship. And by worship, I don't mean to only sit in church and to sing songs, though that's a part of it. But we think of the bigger picture of worship, of being with God, of honoring and glorifying him, not just here at church, but in our lives, throughout our week, to recognize who God is and what he's done. And we can do that any day. But on the other days, we are most focused on work, on work and on other things. We can worship God anywhere throughout the day and the week. But we focus on worship on the Sabbath. 
And we, we haven't really talked about this part of Sabbath rest, so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about worship. Because this is really the heart and soul of Sabbath rest. That we stop, rest, and delight, not just for ourselves, but to honor and glorify God and to be changed by him. We stop for one day to turn toward God, to allow him into our day. And we worship on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is holy. Genesis 2.3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from the work of creating, the work of creating that he had done. And then Exodus 20, the fourth commandment says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord made it holy, and we are to keep it holy. And that word holy sounds big and imposing, but it simply means different or set apart. What makes it holy, what makes it different or set apart, is that God is in it. In Exodus, when Moses approaches the, whole, the burning bush and hears God's voice speaking to him, God tells him to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. The part of the ground he's standing on is holy because God is there. That's what makes it holy. In the temple, there's a section called the Holy of Holies. It's the inner part of the temple that only the high priest can enter. And that's the place where God dwells among his people. It's holy because God is there. And in the New Testament, we are told to be holy because Christ is in us. The Spirit is in us. God is here. Holy simply means set apart. And it's set apart. It's different because God is there. And the Sabbath is holy because God made it holy. And he is in it. The early Christians called it the Lord's Day because God is there. And we can worship God every day of the week. We can worship God anywhere. But on our work days, we're most focused on other things. So on the Sabbath, we turn our hearts towards God. One day a week, we intentionally turn our hearts towards God. God invites us into his presence, to feel his presence, to be grateful for him, to remember what he's done, to honor him, to thank him. And all of that is worship. If you think of church as just a habit or a thing that you have to do, when you drive home, you probably forget all about it. You've done your duty, and you can get on with your day. But when church is the beginning of your Sabbath day, your attitude is different. It sticks with you. You try to love God and to love people, starting with church. When you're on your way to church and your kids bicker, you react a little differently because you're going to church. Right? You're aware this day is different. You try to be friendly, even though you usually don't talk to other people. But you try to be friendly and to reflect God's grace while you're here. You sing the songs. You don't just watch the worship team. Even though you're not a person who normally sings, and you don't think you have a good voice, you sing from the heart, because that's worship. And you pay attention to the sermons, even though you're tired. Even though your mind wanders, you try to intentionally engage and to listen for how God speaks to you. 
because this is where God is. God speaks. God meets you here as you worship. And you enjoy community and serving, blessed by others and wanting to bless others because this day is different. It's holy. And we expect God to be here. To, we expect to experience God's presence. We know that God is here, and we can carry that sense of God's presence throughout our day and our week. We think about it more. We feel good and grateful, and we carry that good feeling home. We feel thankful. We relive good conversations. We chew on new thoughts and ideas. And we listen again to the worship songs or hum them if we can't remember the words. And we set apart this Sabbath day and let the Holy Spirit in to work in our mind and in our heart and our feelings and thoughts to change us. And it impacts us. We begin to notice that God is here. We become more aware of his presence in our week, his activity in our lives. And we can grow to have an attitude, a spirit of worship and praise and faith throughout the week. Sabbath is a weekly day to worship, but it also cultivates a spirit of worship all week long. God created us for a rhythm of work and rest so that our busyness and hard, hard work is interrupted. And for one day, we recenter our faith. We refocus our dreams. We renew our trust and our gratitude toward God. And we refuel for the week ahead. That's what can happen. That Sabbath brings us back to worship and recenters us for the rest of the week. That's what can happen. But it might not happen right away. The pattern of Sabbath is to stop, rest, delight in worship. And you might just start with stopping and resting, just taking a break and relaxing for, for a day. And then over time, as you think about it, you start to add activities that bring delight. And then you naturally turn towards worship as you feel that delight, as it grows into worship, into thinking about God and reorienting your life back to God. I don't remember when or how exactly I started to practice Sabbath, but I do know that it started as a part of a desire to be the kind of person the Bible talks about. I had been going to church faithfully since I was a little kid. I went to Sunday school, I went to youth group, then I became an adult and I tried to pray and to read the Bible and to have quiet times and to do all the things all the right things a Christian is supposed to do. And I looked like a good Christian. I was a model Christian. And we can all do that. We can look good on Sundays. But when my marriage failed, I had to face my failure to be a good person, to face all that ugly stuff inside of me, the anger, resentment, meanness, pride, ego, self-centeredness, all of that stuff. And after my divorce, I longed to be a Christian on the inside, to find a version of Christian that really worked and changed me, to be more like Jesus, to have the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, to really be transformed like the Bible talks about. And as I prayed about that and longed for that, God led me to people, to small groups, 
to teachers and to spiritual practices that met that longing, that helped me to change and grow. And Sabbath was just one of those practices, along with scripture meditation, listening prayer, solitude, spiritual retreat. And those are all ways we allow God in. We allow the Holy Spirit in to change us and to experience God's presence in us. When I first began to explore the whole idea of solitude and listening prayer, I was a little skeptical of it. I thought of myself as a logical and analytical person. I like math and numbers and things you could measure, and God's presence was not something measurable or controllable. Someone handed me the book Practicing the Presence of God and asked me to teach a study on it. And I told her, I don't think I can do that. I don't really know what that means or how to do that. And I don't have time for that. And I don't think I'm the kind of person who can feel God's presence, who can practice the presence of God. But she told me just to try it, and I did. And over time, over the years, I found that I am the kind of person that can feel God's presence. And I think we all are. We do it in different ways. We approach God in different ways and meet him in different ways, but we can all experience God's presence. We can all begin with the Sabbath or other spiritual practices that make room for the Spirit to speak. We can pray and listen for God's leading while we're driving or walking or running or doing other things. We can read scripture and reflect and think about it, not just read it and put it away, but actually reflect and think about how God might speak to us. I told someone to try it for five or 10 minutes and she thought that was too long. So I said, well, try two minutes. And she's been doing that and she says it's really made a difference for her. So two minutes, you can do that. We can journal, listen to worship music, sing along, we can light a candle, we can just sit and think and allow God into whatever comes to our minds, the anger, worry, frustration that surfaces. But I found that practicing the presence of God, whether on a Sabbath or just on a solitude break, really was the best part of being a Christian. And for me, it was the key to change, to growth, to allowing the Holy Spirit in, to bring change on the inside. When we make time and space for God, we allow the Spirit in to change us. And whether it's a 24-hour period of Sabbath, a full Sabbath day, or it's shorter breaks we take whenever we can, when we come to God in faith and worship, God meets us here. Ruth Haley Barton says, like all spiritual disciplines, Sabbath keeping is a means of grace, a way of opening to the transforming work of God beyond anything we can accomplish for ourselves. I cannot will myself to be the person I experience myself to be on the Sabbath, but I can open myself up to it so that God can come in and do what only God can do. As Rabbi Heschel puts it, every seventh day a miracle comes to pass, the resurrection of the soul. And as we stop, rest, delight, and worship, we open our hearts and minds for God to do what only God can do. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to come in and change us. When we stop, we learn to trust God for the things we stop doing. We turn to him. We notice him more. We see God's grace in our lives. We feel good and blessed. We turn to God and we delight in him and that naturally leads 
to worship, to faith, to praise. Pastor Comer asks these two questions when planning a Sabbath day. And these are not beginner questions, so if they don't make sense to you or you're not there yet, don't worry about it. But for those of you who feel more advanced, who are ready to take it to the next level, ask yourself, does this activity connect me more deeply to God and his goodness and beauty? And do I find myself coming alive to the wonder of his nature and spontaneously bursting into praise? That might seem really out there, but that's what can happen as we allow the Spirit in. If you can answer yes to those two questions, you're on the right track. And sometimes on my Sabbath days, I just spontaneously think or say out loud, life is good. God is good. I feel blessed. My life is blessed. And I feel God's presence and grace. And that can happen for you in however you start it, whether you're walking, running, mountain biking, reading, quilting, swimming, surfing, playing pickleball, eating with friends, hanging out with friends and people you love. Whatever brings you joy is the beginning of worship and praise that carries you through your week. On the Sabbath, we experience the delight and joy of God's goodness and beauty. And for one day, it brings us to worship that changes us for the whole week. Three weeks ago, I talked about delighting in Sabbath and told you about the joy of playing with my grandkids. And I made light of the risk of playing football with my grandson, Grayson, at my age. And then nine days later, I was playing with Grayson and I fell. This, what this is. <laughs> we were playing handball on the driveway and, you know, I stepped back to get the ball and kind of lost my balance, fell backwards, fell on my butt, which is what you're supposed to do because, you know, padding. But I had to put my hand out to brace my fall and I sprained my thumb. It's fine now. I can do almost everything. This was a week and a half ago. But the day after my fall, I couldn't do very much. I tried to work on my computer on this sermon, which was my plan for that morning. And I couldn't type for more than a few minutes without it starting to hurt. So I had to stop and ice my hand most of the day. I couldn't work. I couldn't lift anything, couldn't do any housework, couldn't go grocery shopping, couldn't do any of the things I had planned to do that what day. And the most surprising thing to me was that I was fine with it. And that's not normal for me. My normal reaction would have been to stress, right? And I had that moment of concern, but I immediately knew I could trust God, reflexively almost, as I started to think, oh no, I knew I could trust God for that day. My normal reaction would have been, I don't have time for this, which was always the phrase that I said or, or that popped into my mind when something would interrupt my plans. But I do think that it's in keeping the Sabbath that I've learned that I can trust God for a day off, that I can give, him, give up control and trust him to provide. And since I couldn't work, I just enjoyed a Wednesday off, a second Sabbath day that week. And I laid around, I read a book, I watched TV, Googled thumb injuries, stress-free. I didn't feel that stress. By Thursday, my hand had improved significantly so I could get right back to work. But it was as though God had given me that day to remind me, to show me that I had grown, that Sabbath really does make a difference, that, so that I could tell you 
that it does. It was as though God was saying, look, see, it works, right? And this wouldn't have happened before. God is good. He changes us and grows us. Sabbath is a weekly day to stop and rest. We grow into it, into delight and worship. We grow in our faith and seeing God work and trusting God and experiencing his presence. That one day a week can make room for God to work on all the other days as we allow the Holy Spirit in to change us, to grow us. What are you longing for? What are you thinking about when you think about rest? Some of you have already started to make changes or to think about how to do it. But as you've been listening to these sermons over the last several weeks, what stood out to you? What do you want to do? How do you want to rest and to know God and his provision and his goodness better? As we close, I'm going to read Psalm 23 again, and I want you just to sit back and listen. Dan's going to play some worship music, but just listen to your longings, whatever comes to mind. I'll read the psalm and give you a moment of quiet to reflect on it, and then I'll just close in prayer. But pay attention to the images, to the thoughts, to the feelings, to the longings that the Spirit brings up in you. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 